And this world continually attempts to destroy the faith of the next generation. And that is the truth to this day. Therefore, the hope of any Christian pastor, any parents, any youth or Sunday school teacher is to see their children, their students stand fast in the Lord. And it is my prayer that we would desire to both die and live together to see that we would do all that we can in our means to train up the next generation, that they would stand fast in the Lord. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. So today we're going to look at a passage that I titled, To Die and Live Together. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I broke it into five parts. Verse 1 having these promises, verses 2 through 4, to die and live together, verses 5 through 7, Paul's comfort and rejoicing, verses 8 through 12, regret and no regret, and 13 through 16, Paul's confidence. And Father, I pray that you would, as the last song that we sung before our teaching today, change our hearts, Lord. That, Lord, you would help us to cleanse both outwardly and inwardly. That we would have this perfecting of holiness in our lives. As scripture tells us, be ye holy because I am holy. So, Lord, you have set a high standard for us. It is a standard, Lord, that you do not expect us to make on our own. You have not only given us Christ as our Savior, but you have filled us with your Spirit that you could enable us to walk in a way that is pleasing to you. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to do that. As we hear your words preached this day, we ask in the name of Jesus, amen. So Paul, in verses 8 through 12, he says, I have regret. I don't have regret. So I titled this, Regret No Regret. He kind of goes back and forth on this one. Here's what he said in the context, reading from verses 8 through 12. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner 
that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence did it produce in you? What clearing of yourself? What indignation of what fear? What vehement desire? What zeal? What vindication? In all things, you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, but for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you might be in the sight of God, that God might appear to you. So regret and no regret. He speaks about godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow here in verses 8 through 10. Paul was conflicted over his letter that he had sent to the Corinthians. He didn't know how they were going to receive it. And so he wrote it, and I, I've done this before. Um, I've sent corrective letters or emails to people, but you never know how they're going to respond to those things. And I've sat with people to deal with corrective issues. You just sometimes don't know how it's going to go. And so in the process of doing that, you think, should I, shouldn't I? And then, you know, in a, in a church situation, sometimes I have no choice, but I have to. Whether, you know, I want to personally or not, it's like the position that I have as a pastor. It forces it upon me. Paul had this kind of situation where he was conflicted, maybe personally, but his authority as an apostle, he had no choice but to pin the letter of 1 Corinthians to them. He was conflicted, though, over it. This letter was sent because it contained these corrective elements. Paul wasn't sure how they would receive it. He said in 2 Corinthians 2.4, Out of much affliction and anguish of a heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Paul wrote the letter, but he was crying as he was penning the words. We know that Paul had uh, a secretary, someone who would write most of his letters for him. He normally signed the letters, but he had a scribe that would do that work for him. But can you envision maybe Paul reading over the letter before he sent it out and maybe seeing some tear stains drop on it and just roll it up and send it off? Here you go. It's stained with my tears. With the coming of Titus, though, Paul learned that the Corinthians had received his counsel. They'd made the necessary changes that led them to true repentance. And this was because godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation. He says not to be regretted, but unlike the sorrow of this world that merely produces death. 2 Timothy 2 Verses 25 and 26, it says, In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. In humility, we come to correct those who are in opposition. You need to have a humble heart. Whenever you think, Lord, you're... You really want me to 
deal with this situation. Lord, you want me to call this person out? You want me to really say something in this matter? I had to do this. I saw a flurry of texts going out. It was a group text. Um, so a lot of people were on this chain. And what the brother was writing was not right. It was not in humility. It was not with compassion. I was in the middle of a disc golf game with my grandsons. And I said, wait a minute, I have to deal with something right now. And I walked away and I, I never got a response back from that text either. But I couldn't let it keep going that way. It's like, this isn't right. But I didn't respond to the group. I responded to the individual who was causing the harm. And I think sometimes we need to learn when it's appropriate to go to the individual, as the Lord says, if you have something against your brother, go to that person. If they do not listen, then go and bring two or, or three other witnesses. If they do not listen to the two or three other witnesses, then go to the church. We need to do it properly and in order, but also in humility. It all has to do with how God's word is being received by the hearers. To those who receive God's word, with the sorrow that leads to repentance, it is that godly sorrow. It will lead them to life. But those who hear the word of God with the sorrow of this world, that sorrow never will lead to life. Because the sorrow of this world cannot produce true repentance with God. It may be able to produce true repentance with others on a vertical level. But the sorrow of this world cannot horizontally produce repentance with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, verses 14 through 17, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any roots of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. I thought this was a great example of the sorrow of the world versus that of the sorrow, a godly sorrow. Esau had we learn in the account of Jacob and Esau that Esau had previously sold his birthright to Jacob for a pot of stew, and now he had lost his blessing. Jacob had did this to him, his brother. And when Esau came and discovered that the blessing had already been given out to his younger brother and that Isaac could not take the blessing back, the Bible tells us that he sought it with tears. He cried, Father, please bless me. And Esau gave him a lesser blessing. The problem with Esau is that his sorrow was a sorrow of the world and not a godly sorrow. And for Jacob at this time, he didn't even know godly sorrow at that point, but he would learn it one day. In verses 11 and 12, we see that the produce of godly sorrow, that there is fruitfulness to those who have true godly sorrow in their life. He said, what diligence it produced in you. 
it meant that this word for diligence, uh, spude is the Greek word. It means to be in eagerness or in haste. And so they had this eagerness now about their relationship with Jesus Christ and others. What clearing of yourselves, it actually means to give an answer or a defense of oneself. And no longer did they desire to make excuses, but to live righteously before Christ and others. What indignation. It's a state that means displeasure. Here there is the sense that it brought them in this place where they opposed those who were against Christ. And maybe that was happening within the church itself. Remember, the church of Corinth had some issues going on. And so they began to deal with situations in their own life within their own church. What fear? It's the state of fear. It's phobos in the Greek. It means to be in fear, this uh, severe distress and impending pain or danger. But also it can refer to this respect, this awe of deity. As in Hebrews 10.31, it says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What vehement desire, this earnestness, this longing for that they had, as 1 Peter 2.2 says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. This great desire that they had now. Think of a baby when it's hungry. And whether it's feeding from a mother's breast or a bottle, it is desperate to have that milk. And that's how we are to be about the word of God, to have so desperate that we want to know God's word. What zeal? It means to be hot, to be fervent. And in a good sense, in Romans 10 too, it says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. What vindiction? Vindication? There we go. I'll get it. It, it really speaks about here in 2 Corinthians seven eleven. It really should be perhaps rendered this determination. A determination now to put to action. It could be determined to punish the guilty or determined to live for Christ. They had this, well... To do things right. Those things which Paul had previously written were not for those who had done wrong, perhaps those who had suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. That they, like a correcting parent to his child, he said, I'm doing this for your own good. You may not understand this now, but you'll understand it later. And some kids are thinking, I'll never understand this. And that's sometimes how we feel. In Paul's case, the things he did, he did in the sight of God, that they might know his sincere love and care for them. Matthew eighteen fifteen says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained a brother. And godly sorrow can bring, bring us to that place of true repentance with Christ and others. And we close out in verses 13 through 16. Paul's confidence. Again, the context says, therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort and we rejoice exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if anything, I have boasted to him about you and I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, 
Even so, our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all. How with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. Although Paul wondered how the Corinthians were doing, Titus's report, it put him at ease. He said, having been comforted in your comfort, thankfully, they received Paul's letter in the spirit in which Paul had sent it to them. And moreover, by seeing their penitent hearts, Titus's spirit then also was refreshed. Apparently, Paul had told Titus about the church of Corinth. Paul had told him, he boasted about them. You're going to love these guys. Apparently, Titus had never met them before. And so, neither Paul nor Titus were really sure how things were going to go when Titus was sent to the church. That was that anxiousness that they had that caused Paul to leave Ephesus to go to Troas, to go to Macedonia, looking for Titus, wanting to hear how the Corinthians were doing. And then Titus showed up and said, they're doing great. The church is doing great. And like a proud father, Paul rejoiced that the truth he had taught them was now evident in their lives. Again, we read in 1 Thessalonians 3, 7 and 8. We have so many correlations with 1 Thessalonians here. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. We live if you stand fast. And this world continually attempts to destroy the faith of the next generation. And that is the truth to this day. Therefore, the hope of any Christian pastor, any parents, any youth or Sunday school teacher is to see their children, their students, stand fast in the Lord. And it is my prayer that we would desire to both die and live together, to see that we would do all that we can in our means to train up the next generation, that they would stand fast in the Lord. This confidence he spoke about in verses 15 and 16 to close out, Whatever affections that Titus had had for the Corinthians before he had visited them, it was now greater because of spending time with them. Having seen their obedience of faith and having received either one or two corrective letters from Paul, it appears that the Corinthians, they had surrendered to Christ in all things. They had received Titus even with fear and trembling. Their was true humility, true brokenness. The Bible tells us to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift us up. Philippians 2 verses 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That fear and trembling, we find that it's connected with our salvation itself. The Corinthians, their patient hearts caused them, ministry team, to rejoice. And this was especially true for Paul, who now rejoiced with confidence over the Corinthians in everything. And yet Paul knew enough 
to not solely put his confidence in the works of the flesh, but rather in the works of Christ within his church. Philippians 1.6 saying, Be confident in this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He who has begun a good work in you. Christ will be faithful to complete it. May we be those who would be confident in Christ in all things. It is my prayer that we would be a church that is willing to die and to live together. The Holy Spirit then, because of that, I believe, would be free to move upon this church with the power of the gospel to lead many to salvation. I pray that we would be such a church. It appears that the history of this building, when this place was called the Gospel Ranch in the 1960s and early 70s, was such a church. Where the Spirit of God moved upon this place, and the sanctuary is a bit smaller than it used to be then. Um, We didn't used to have office areas out there. That the place was filled to overflowing. God moved among this small church to where one of the founding assistant pastors told me once, who now is a man in his late 70s, I believe. He said that in less than three to six months, we went from about 30 to 40 people to over 300. God moved quickly upon this house. Now, that was then. But I'd love to see that now. I believe the path to that is through us as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to commit ourselves to the work that God has called us to in this place. That we would be willing to die and to live together. Pastor John, that's your job. You die for us. No, Christ has already done that. I don't have to. But willing to take the distance, I believe, is what Paul is referring to here. That may, at times, could lead to a death. It did for Paul. May we have such a heart. I believe committing our lives as believers in Christ in such a way we would and will see the power of God work in amazing ways in our midst. Here at Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa, we have a motto that says, believe, receive, grow, and go. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews eleven six, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The first step of salvation comes by believing that there is a God, believing that he is. But it's not just believing that there is a God. There are a lot of people in our world that believe that there is a God. And there are a lot of people in our world who have not yet received his son, Jesus Christ, as their savior. So the second part of that motto, believe, receive, Romans 5, 17 tells us, for if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Those who receive this abundant grace, this gift of righteousness that comes 
through Jesus Christ. We have to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. But that's not the end of it. While we're living upon this earth, the Lord has called us to grow in our faith. We're not just to be baby Christians the rest of our life. Wah, I want my bottle. Second Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. We are to be growing Christians. But the fourth point of that motto, go. The Lord commissioned us to go in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And then the Lord's blessed promise. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Sometimes we might go two by two, as the early church did. And I would love that to go forth into the neighborhoods with my brothers and sisters here at Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa. I also love it that Jesus said, I'll be with you. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Thank you.